when the replay official did not stop I, the game. I'm not going to comment on that. I'll get fined for the rest of my life if I get commented on that. We had a great belief in our locker room. We didn't have to do anything special, just be us. I was so proud of this team. We had so much fun, it ought to be illegal. Coach Carousel talk, is that something you just ignore? Yeah, yeah, you, you ignore because one week you're getting fired and the next week you're going to take another job and I'm worried about the darn SEC West Championship. And so, yes, to answer your question. Our purpose is to win, make no mistake about it, but it's to win the right way. And our goal, our stated goal, is going to be to win the Sun Belt, uh, sorry, to win the SEC East. That's iron sharpening iron. That's the way this thing's got to work, man. We got to know and understand that it's got to be about competition. Talk about the reception you received from the fan, fan base. Did you ever think you'd be kissing and hugging babies at the tarmac when you got the point? Um, a lot better than another tarmac experience that I had. <laughs> I didn't think of it. It was like, <laughs> like an anniversary or something like that. We're coming. We're coming, and we ain't backing down. Welcome in to the latest episode of That SEC Podcast, presented by MyBookie. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter, and I'm joined, as always, by my cousin Shane, who goes by Big Orange Vols on Twitter. What are you up to, you big Tennessee homer? Hey, buddy, what's going on? Hey, doing good, Shane, and I think you'll be happy to know, along with a lot of our Tennessee listeners, we just got our latest shipment of koozies in. If you mm-hmm. if you missed that on the, the Twitter page, I, I'll probably put it on the Reddit, and I've already put it on the Instagram as well, but hey, we got, this is the first edition of full-on colored koozies. We're stepping our game up for the season. And it, I was waiting to see what these bad boys look like before I got around to ordering the the rest of the teams because these bad boys sent me back a little bit. But I don't mind paying it, but I wasn't going to pay for some crappy product. But, it, I, hey, I'm happy to report this thing. these things look great. Dude, they do, man. I really like them. And I've got a lot of feedback. Guys say, hey, man, I've already got my reviews in. But I'm also getting a lot of guys out there getting that second review in to get that second <laughs> cozy mic. So that extra effort's going to get you a nicer cozy. So, man, they look sharp, and I can't wait to get mine. You know what you got to do, Shane? Just give us that five-star <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, although, man, I may I may not be allowed back in Verizon after my last visit, Mike. So, but <laughs> just kidding. Hey, before we go around the league, though, I forgot to ask Shane, what you drinking on? Yeah, a uh, beautiful little can here. It's called Coastal Love mm. Hazy Inn. It's from Wicked Weed Brewing right over the mountain at my favorite little town, Asheville, North Carolina. And what I thought was pretty cool about it, a portion of the proceeds benefit hurricane relief efforts and non-profits workings to protect the shores that we love. So not only am I getting a little buzz, Mike, but I'm also doing a little donating. <laughs> Hey, that's great. You know, we got a lot to get to. But hey, before we even get around to it, how about this? I don't know if you saw this, Shane, but uh, for recruiting junkies, I'm sure you know this name, Jake Garcia. He's a four-star quarterback from California, one of the top prospects in the entire country for this recruiting cycle. And if you don't know, California has shut down high school football this fall. So Mm -hmm. in order for Jake Garcia to see the field, 
he is transferred to a school in Georgia. This happened about a month ago, so it's not that mm-hmm. that's not really the news. He's playing for old Rush Pro down there, down at uh, you, you know worked with uh, Jeremy Pruitt and them, and he, and he was mm-hmm. on that MTV Two a Day show fame. But anyway, that's the his head coach, and ESPN ran a story on him Wednesday morning. This is fascinating. So in the state of Georgia, I guess to prevent kids from, as if this is some crime, I guess, but to prevent people from transferring in and playing to high school, mm-hmm. you have to prove that it's like a valid move. So Jake Garcia, his parents, his mom had to stay in California. His dad went with him to Georgia, and his dad had to get legally separated from his <laughs> wife. <laughs> I swear, this is a true story. It's in Georgia high school bylaws, whatever. It's the entire family unit's got to be at the new location. So he's leaving the wife behind. He's down there with Rush Pros. My mm. God, I hope, I hope he, the plan is to stay married after the season. But uh, who knows what will happen down there with old Rush? Gee, sometimes it means more, Mike. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> this kid's committed to USC. After you hear this story, how's he? You know he's destined to play in the SEC. Mike, Mike, could you just imagine this conversation? That guy just opened up a coastal love, and he said, "Hey, I got an idea. <laughs> Go with me here, babe. I know it sounds. I'm leaving. We're gonna get separated, but it's for the betterment of our children. You stay here and work. I mean, I, I, could you imagine that conversation? <laughs> I would say for most families, that's not going to do it. But, hell, maybe this Jake Garcia is that good of a player. Really, obviously, wants to finish strong his high school career before he is scheduled to go to USC. We'll see if that plays out. You know, I, I have no indication that he's wavering on that at all. But, yeah, we'll we'll see how that goes after all these SEC coaches come knocking if he has a great senior season here in Georgia. Yeah, well, I'm just – I'm a little more worried about the marriage, Mike. But, you know, <laughs> I'm sure – is Georgia the only state that's requiring this? I mean, could he have gone to Tennessee and stayed married? I mean, I don't know. I didn't know that this was a, a huge deal. But uh, I, it's very interesting. Yeah, I mean, I can't believe this is even a damn thing that we have to discuss here. But I guess – I guess they're fearful that Georgia high school, it's so competitive down there that it'll turn into a recruiting factory. But at the end of the day, I oh, mean, I guess. you know, is that yeah. really, I don't know. I don't know if, the, I didn't realize that was such a big deal down there. <laughs> I didn't either, but the more you know, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> All right, buddy, you ready to go around the league? Yes, let's do it. Now let's go now around let's the go league. Around. My, my daughters said something about me wearing a visor and need to put on a hat because I'm getting bald. So, uh, so I'm going to wear a hat from here on out. I mean, if you look over the next six years, I think we played Miami three times, Florida State six times, South Florida three times, Mississippi State once. So who's the SEC teams? You know, I mean, I don't think, I think it's an injustice for the kids. They should, we should mix those games up and you should, um, you know, play more teams from the West. Why don't you start calling around and see if you can get somebody else to play us, and we'll play them. We'll play anybody you can get to play us. In Louisiana, hold on a second. Hey, guys. Hey, I'm having a press conference, okay? Thank you. All right, so we open with Georgia. Let's stick right there because uh, Kirby Smart recently met with the media and 
Hey, surprise, surprise. He was asked about 20 questions on the quarterbacks. <laughs> we got Dwan Mathis taking all the reps. Kirby kind of tried to sweep that under the rug. At the same time, continues to say JT Daniels, not cleared. But he points out, well, we wouldn't be practicing him if we didn't think he's going to play. <laughs> and he also said there's a game-time decision. I don't know if he's specifically talking about JT Daniels' availability or the starting quarterback or what have you, but they do not They do not want to tip their hand for week one against Arkansas. And he also talks about seeing old Felipe Franks once again, who is a quarterback he's had to game plan for a number of years. And, hell, he says he even recruited him. I, didn't, I wasn't aware of that. But uh, let's kick it over to Kirby, and then we'll discuss what he had to say on the other side. Yeah, Coach, uh, I guess I'll uh... – I'll jump right in with the uh, the quarterback question. Just kind of where we're at right now. Uh, JT cleared as a uh, and as a uh, this could be something. It could be a, a game time decision for you. You make the final call. Yeah, JT is not completely cleared yet. Uh, he is practicing with us as he's been doing. And uh, if we didn't think he was going to be cleared, then we wouldn't be practicing him. Um, but he's continuing to practice, and so is Dwan Carson and Stetson. And um, as far as we can tell, it'll probably be a game time decision. Hey, Coach. Um, yeah, I guess I'm going to follow up uh, on the quarterback deal. Uh, obviously, the, there were a lot of boosters in the last scrimmage, and so there was plenty of reporting on it. it what conclusions do you draw or does anyone draw from Dwan Mathis getting so many snaps with ones and how work breaks down, and should people draw any conclusions from that? They certainly have a right to. Uh, I don't, it doesn't concern me. I mean, it was part of the rotation as far as each day just so happens they were there that day so you know each day we've rotated uh guys that have gone with the ones and that's the day that his fell on so for the most part we've done a really good job for i think 16 practices today being 17th that we've rolled um that doesn't mean we've had a different guy every day but we've got a rotation that we do and that was just part of the rotation uh back to the uh, quarterback situation does that give you any uh calls for concern to you know, going down to the wire with that decision and the uncertainty around, I don't, you know, maybe you have an idea in your head, but uh, at least on the outside, uh, what is that like going down to the wire with uh, trying to pick a quarterback? Uh, it's not a problem for me. It's getting to be a norm here. So, I mean, <laughs> we, 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 we've had it, we've had it before. So it's not, it's not calls for concern uh, among our staff or organization or our kids. And, and we talk about it a lot with our players and uh, make sure they understand where we are. Hey, Kirby, uh, a couple years ago, obviously with Jake and Justin, you had quarterbacks with different talents and you could bring them in and do different things. Uh, might this be a similar situation with, with what you've got with the talents in that quarterback room? Could there be a deal where you bring one starts and, and another one comes in and maybe offers you something different? It could be, yes. Can you also then talk about just – since you've been here, you had Jake for a while, is there an excitement that comes with a – quarterback competition that's maybe I mean Jake obviously accomplished a lot but is there something kind of new and fresh and exciting about a competition um yeah I mean it, it makes for everybody to uh, kind of put their mind on it you know you, you you rely on the people you've hired in your organization to help you make good decisions ultimately those decisions fall with me and um, I like the idea of you know we didn't have much of a decision last year so you know this year it's been a lot more calculated uh in terms of reps it's been a lot more calculated in terms of what we do with each guy and how we develop each guy and they're all in different stages of their career and uh they're all getting better 
And uh, I would argue that we've got a, a talented quarterback room in terms of depth. Uh, the important thing is, is getting the right one to lead this group. Hey, Kirby, with JT Daniels, what is the difference between him being cleared to practice and what he needs to do to be, in order to be cleared to play? Uh, be tackled, um, be able to be hit, and that's a medical decision, which is usually based on um, – you know, the interesting thing on JT, I don't know that everybody understands, is he's, he's post-op a lot further than most ACLs, so post his, his surgery fixing it. But he had a repair done, I want to say it was December or January, he had to go in and, and do some other things to help fix it uh, from the original surgery. And that was, you know, before – we even really knew about him or were, were with him, but that put him behind a little bit. So uh, the part about him getting cleared, we certainly expect him to get cleared and think he will get cleared, but that's not my decision. That goes a lot into Ron and them. It goes into flexibility. It goes into strength. How far is the left knee from the right knee? What is the girth of the knee? What is the muscle mass missing? There's a lot of things that go into that that uh, the doctors have to do to, to clear him medically to take hits and be able to play. Kirby, um, you, meant, you mentioned earlier that, you know, close quarterback competitions are starting to be the norm in Athens. Is, is that experience helping you and, and your coaching staff right now in terms of looking for things these guys are doing well at practice, seeing how they're taking control of or becoming a leader on the offense, stuff like that? I think anytime you do something a couple times, you get better at it, you know? I mean, it's it's like we've been through this a couple times. And, you know, the interesting thing for me is I've kind of been through it with different coordinator uh and each time i've done it it's kind of been with a different coordinator so it's like you learn uh what each one wants uh what each one kind of commands and uh you try to figure out what gives you the best chance to win and uh, what gives you the best chance to score points so there's some similarities between all of them all the competitions in the decision making process but um i certainly like having a proven guy as well a little bit on arkansas's felipe franks uh, all indications are he's you know, emerging as the guy out of their camp. And I just wonder, he's at a different place, but obviously he's a guy you, you guys have gone against a good bit. Uh, how Does that help you and when it comes to scouting and what to prepare for for Arkansas's offense? Not really, because, I mean, he was in a different offense. You know, he when he played in Dan's offense, we had a lot of experience uh, going against Dan and have gone against him a lot of years. Um, and I've known Felipe for a long time, got a lot of respect for him and his family and uh, recruited him while I was uh, at Alabama. But as far as what he'll do in this offense, you know, it's a, it's really a unknown. It's completely different because he's playing for a different coordinator. So um, I don't think there's a lot of advantage in, in terms of that, no. All right, Shane, so how much of what Kirby's saying here is just complete bullshit? <laughs> I, you know, I think quite a bit of it because just a couple weeks ago he was making it sound like, I don't know, like JT's probably going to get ready, but he's not, you know what I'm saying? It's just, mm-hmm. he, it's, it's, I don't know. It's, I think his cards are starting to get shown here now that the boosters are getting in there and tattletailing. <laughs> but, uh, I, yeah, I think that's what this is. The, the competitive edge of maybe having uh, Arkansas prepare for JT just to see you know, a little bit more of, uh, uh, what's his name? I think that's, I think that's kind of what the game plan was, but now the cat's getting out of the bag. Yeah. So you, you just made me realize, I mean, for anybody that missed it, we, d- we did play the clip on a previous show. Go back and, and check that out if you missed it. But, uh, old Aaron Murray was at practice. And then as soon as he got home, he fired up the old Twitter machine said, hell, I'm going to make us a video. 
<laughs> give us all the insight on the Georgia quarterback competition. Uh-huh. I bet Kirby saw that. I was like, what in the hell? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. So, so now he's now that's what he's doing. He's still, he's still hanging that carrot out there. Like JT could get cleared, but I don't think so, Mike. I, I don't think we see him week one. Mm-hmm. I don't know how soon we do see him, but uh, I think that's all this is, is about week one. Just, just shell game. Yeah. And I even kind of, Going to what his second part here, we're talking about Felipe Franks. I was kind of surprised. Yeah, I know that the offense is different, but you know it's not like he's going to be a night and day different player. He Felipe Franks just kind of is who he is. So um, if Kirby was being honest here, I think he would say, you know, we faced this guy a couple times and we did really well against him. So I, I think he's got confidence in the, saw, knowing how to solve Felipe Franks, even if it is in a new offense. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, there. I, th- I still think, even though in a, a new offense and a new coordinator, you know, it's still the same quarterback. So, uh, I, I, I mean, I, I know Felipe's been working hard to get back with rehab and everything like that. And I'm not trying to take away from who he is, but just to think that he's just going to come out and be not in day difference than he was down there in Gainesville. I, I don't see that happening. Yeah, and I think he really kind of tipped his hand too, talking about Stetson Bennett. Like, yeah, we. We've seen him already, so <laughs> I think, you know, all due respect to him, he's been hyped up in the past, but I think it's a pretty clear indication, you know, there's one quarterback they're trying to get ready for the season opener, and that's mm-hmm. Dewan Mathis. That's something we've been saying. That's basically something everyone's been saying. So I think you can kind of write this one in ink at this point. Dewan Mathis is going to start the year for the, for the Bulldogs against Arkansas. Hey, don't make light of him. I mean, Mathis may come out here and just – take this game by storm and then we never look back at another quarterback controversy down there in Athens and then get wrapped up week one. So Mm -hmm. Mathis, Mathis has an advantage here. Uh, He's got a great team. He's got great personnel to work with. And if, if he comes out and shots, man, who knows? Our, you know, Georgia may never look back. All right. Well, uh, speaking of a quarterback controversy that really isn't one, let's skip on down to Starkville. (laughs) Where KJ Costello, for I believe the first time since he came to Mississippi State, met with the media and talked mm-hmm. up uh, the, the ongoing competition there at Mississippi State. And I really liked his answer on that. Uh, he talked a little bit about uh, the receivers that are standing out to him. And I thought this was kind of an interesting comment here on facing LSU in the season opener. And, you know, he didn't outright come out and say it, but. You know, this is why he came to Mississippi State. This is why he came to the SEC, because if he wants to play in the NFL, the best training he's going to get is in the SEC, playing for a guy like Mike Leach that throws it all over the yard and having to face these elite defensive backs. He's going to get it right out the gate. So um, Mm -hmm. K.J. Costello talks about Derek Stingley and that LSU defensive back. Get you a shot of coffee real quick for you here, this one. KJ, we spent three weeks asking the coach as he named a starter. Has he ever come up to you and said, KJ, you're my starter for the opening week? No, he, he, he hasn't done that yet. I mean, I, uh, I've very much respected the way he's gone about it. I mean, um, his MO is competition, 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 just in terms of how he runs practice, um, in terms of how everything functions within the team. Um, he hasn't said that yet, but, I mean, I've taken the majority of the one reps um, for the majority of camp, but you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in competition as well. And, uh, yep, yeah, that's, that's my take on that. 
you mentioned uh, getting to know what, what you're doing and, and things and learning the offense. I know you're focused in on that, but as part of that, I'm sure part of that's building relationships with receivers and timing and that, that sort of deal. What receivers, I guess, to this point have kind of stood out to you, um, whether it's in scrimmage action or practice or whatever, who's kind of stood out to you in that regard? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, we since day one, you know, we, I was here June 1st, um, and, you know, we were kind of us quarterbacks and, and me leading the charge. We were kind of implementing the offense ourselves. So going all the way back to kind of June, July, um, you know, Javante Payton was somebody that stuck, stuck out to me in terms of someone that could separate in the slot. Austin um, reminds me of wide receiver trainer when I was at Stanford, just Mr. Reliable. You know where he's going to be. He knows what he's going to do. He feels space really well. Um, and then Osiris being the, uh, you know, leading receiver last year, I think uh, he's starting to understand um, that he's going to get a lot more targets this year, um, number one. Um, number two, he's got to be a threat in one-on-one -on -one situations. He's got to be someone that we thoroughly trust. Um, and he also feels zones really well. We were talking to Will just before you came in, and he was talking about you guys golf together, and it seems like y'all have a pretty good relationship already. Just kind of what's your, I guess from your end, what's your relationship like with Will Rogers and, and from just a veteran's perspective, what's he been like on the field and, and just your evaluation of him so far? Yeah, no, I've been really impressed. I mean, he's a really good man. Um, he, he reminds me a lot of myself, not, not to pat myself on the back, but me coming in as a freshman, you know, just, just really eager to play, um, you know, really eager to get reps, um, not gun shy. You know, he's, he's willing to, to um, fail, which a lot of times freshmen are kind of timid at times. Um, you know, he, he's a really good dude. We spent a lot of time together. Um, I think there's um, valuable lessons that both of us can learn just by hanging out. And uh, what, I, I think we really molded our relationship when we kind of looked at each other when we were here in June, July, and like, hey, I mean, we got a month and a half. Let's team up and teach this offense to the guys. You know, we're not, we're not really trying to compete. I mean, we're competing, but – at the same time, like it was on our shoulders to he had he had ran a little bit of the system in high school. Um, you know, I had to absorb a totally new system um, and we were kind of leaning on each other's shoulders to um, communicate effectively to everybody else what they were doing. And, you know, not a lot of people will probably mention that, but I think that's going to um, pay dividends this year in terms of how we were effectively able to know the whole offense. I mean, if you came out to the first to th three practices, most of the guys knew everything they were doing. Um, and they had never been really coached up because they didn't have spring ball. So um, I give Will a lot of credit for that and myself and, and all the other quarterbacks um, for being able to communicate that to the rest of the team um, and the player run practices for, you know, the month of June and July. We've got time for a couple more. We'll go to Brian. I don't know how much uh, game prep you guys have done looking ahead to next Saturday, but LSU obviously – year in, year out, one of the best secondaries in the country. Derek Stingley, maybe the best cornerback in the country. With a guy like Stingley, how do you work against him and how do you work around him in this offense that wants to throw the ball so much? Yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, we're, we're going to line up, we're going to run our stuff, we're going to go through our progressions. If it's there, it's there. If it's not, move on. I mean, we're not shying away from anything. Um, that's just, A, that's the philosophy, and B, that's really all we uh, – that's just the way this system's run. Um, so, I mean, you know, I, I've watched him play a lot across the country. I know he's a hell of an athlete, hell of a cornerback. 
um, you know, we're going to attack them in many different ways and, and hopefully with looks they hadn't really seen before um, and, and make sure they're on their P's and Q's and um, they're able to, you know, react quickly. I think the first week, the bottom line is, it's going to be who can execute and be consistent and, and, and be urgent from snap to snap across the board. Watched a lot of the NFL this past weekend and that's really what it was. Um, so I think in, in a little bit, it's kind of a to our favor in terms of them seeing a offense they hadn't necessarily seen yet. Um, but at the same time, we got to execute at a high level regardless of who we're playing. All right, Shane. So this is a guy, a guy that, uh, you know, he's got a lot of confidence in himself. And uh-huh. I also appreciate the fact that he's kind of taken Will Rogers under his wing. That seems to be, you know, you, a lot of these competitions, particularly when it's a, you know, a graduate transfer coming in there expecting to play, and he's kind of battling, if you want to call it that, with the true freshman. I think a lot of quarterbacks would – I don't know if they'd take offense to that, but it's almost like they wouldn't – you know, just imagine – that's just such a weird dynamic, a, a seasoned vet, so to speak, and a guy just in his first camp ever. But I like the fact that Costello is, you know, kind of buddying up to the guy that's likely going to replace him one day. Yeah, and I, I joked a little bit about – you know, drinking the coffee, but that's what you want in quarterback, man. Somebody that's cool, calm, collective. And that's exactly what KJ's coming across to me, man. I don't know about you, but it feels like he's he's got it. He's He's got a grasp of what's going on. He's got a grasp of what Coach Leach is expecting of him. And not only that, is he, he's tutoring his, uh, you know, the the future of Mississippi State. So, I, I think this is great. If you're if you're a, a Bulldog fan, you've got to be excited uh, to hear the quarterback of your ball club uh, in this new offense coming out here and, and just feeling that confident. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I, I also appreciate the fact that, you know, he talks kind of like he discusses the fact that Mike Leach is not really willing to give him anything. It's got to compete every single day. And that kind of mm-hmm. goes to what you're saying as well to where – you know, he's really got to prove not only the coach Leach, but of course all the the rest of his teammates because he's never played with mm-hmm. them, that he is the guy and, uh, you know, they're all learning on the fly at the same time. So imagine trying to learn that offense and you see the guy that everyone assumes is going to be the starter and he's helping the freshmen, you know, get up to speed and, and compete with them. I think that's just – that's probably got to be addictive to the entire offense where – particularly those receivers where, you know, they're coming off playing in an offense where they barely touch the ball. Mm-hmm. Here under Mike Leach, they're going to catch, I would say, minimum 20, 30 passes apiece. And we're talking like six or seven players here. So that, mm-hmm. that's the mentality that you want going into the season. And, man, I, I'm just fired up to see this offense finally in the SEC. Golly, it's going to be so much passing down there, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, there may be – there may be 30 receivers on that team by the time we get done, you know, <laughs> looking at the stats. They're going to have everybody out there catching balls. As uh, our our buddy Brett Siaka says, the, the passing records are going to get shattered down there this year. <laughs> yeah, they really are. All right, uh, let's skip on down next to Gainesville. Where, uh, just a brief clip here, but uh, Jeremiah Moon met with the media here and I just thought that uh, Gator fans would really appreciate these comments because we all know entering camp, there was a lot of talk about you know some key players for the Gators potentially opting out. Of course, we know by now that didn't happen. So Moon kind of gives some insight into 
the vibe in the locker room and why everyone's so committed down there in Gainesville. And then a little bit of hype. We love hyping players up here. Mm-hmm. We all know the name Bretton Cox, former five-star for Georgia, transferred down there to Gainesville, had to sit out last year, but now he's eligible. Moon talks up Brenton Cox and just kind of his work work ethic down there. And then as different players around the country were sort of considering opting out and, and maybe not playing this season, did you consider that? And how much did you and your teammates actually talk about it as well? Uh, there was there was talk, but uh, nobody was going to opt out. Um, everybody has a goal, and since we're able to play, everybody's going to play. What is that goal? To win the SEC and National Championship. What's it, your impression of Brenton Cox? I mean, what kind of a game changer could he potentially be? Uh, Brenton is great. I love coming to work with him every day. Um, he's a great guy, and he comes uh, with his hard hat to work every day. So that's all you can ask for. Mm-hmm. All right, Chance, so we're getting a little bit of a vibe, kind of like we're getting in Tuscaloosa. We're getting it down here mm-hmm. in Gainesville. I just thought uh, Florida fans would really appreciate the fact that, hell, with I love I love it when players are not afraid to put this out there, because it seems like these damn coaches are scared to death. <laughs> Outside of <laughs> Dan Mullen's definitely not one of them, but there are certain coaches in the league that, my God, you you know you pick them to go to Atlanta, they take it as like you're disrespecting them. You know what? Yeah, no, and but I mean it's here you got Florida, you got Alabama, at both of them are pretty. I mean that's what they got, man. They're they're wanting to go to the playoffs. They're wanting to compete for a national championship. And that's why you're not seeing the opt-out, man, because the coach has got to be a salesman and convince these kids that everyone has to buy in. And if they all buy in, they all do their part, we can make it to this game. So that's what I would expect more than just two schools to be doing. Uh, Not just – and maybe Georgia. Has Georgia had any opt-outs? Oh, Jamie Newman's a big one, wasn't he? Well, yeah, he don't count. I don't like Jamie Newman. He he's not in the SEC anymore. <laughs> I'm not counting him. But you know what I'm saying. I, I, I and who knows, Jamie? That there's something going on behind. I think behind the curtain there, whether Jamie Newman knew he was going to lose his job eventually, and, and it may be this situation. The reason that they're pumping up Jamie is because he was going to be the guy that played week one because they knew JT wasn't going to be healthy. But as soon as he gets cleared, he knew he's going to lose his job. That's what I think happened. So I don't think that's the same. But here you got, you know, Georgia, Alabama, Florida, uh, these guys all bought in, no no opt opt outs, and then you got teams like Texas A and M, and it's like, are you not, are you not making it sound like this is the year down there? It seems like if the if the whole group was buying in that we've we've got a real shot of competing for a national championship, we wouldn't have these opt outs. So, uh, kudos to Dan for for roping them all in and convincing them that they really got a shot, and I really do think they do. Uh, there's a lot of people that, that think this is the year for the Florida Gators, so we're going to find out soon, man. Now, do you think that speaks at all to something we kind of referenced on a recent show that, you know, if a team loses a game or two that they weren't supposed to and the you know, season's already going sideways on them, mm-hmm. that we could it see does. some opt-outs? You think, I mean, does do these comments make you think that that – is even more likely? Absolutely. I, I think it is. Maybe not after, you know, one loss, but mm-hmm. if one of these programs get hit with two and they see that they're 
they really, you know, let me ask you, Mike, you know, real quick, because there's some bit, there's some news going on up north. Mm-hmm. These Yankees got together and decided they won't play football in December. Is that right? Is that when they're doing it? So Big Ten. Oh, no, no, has, wait, uh, they're coming back October, October 24th. October. Okay, okay, so October. But they're not going to play 10 SEC games. They're going to play eight uh mm-hmm. what what cupcake teams except for maybe three or four programs up there <laughs> is that is that and then they're just going to walk right into a college football playoff yeah yeah i mean i don't want to be the the elephant in the room mike but at some point we got to say look this is going to be the toughest schedule that any of the sec teams have ever had to go through uh 10 i mean 10 weeks of SEC programs, it, the just the amount of physicality expected in each ball game is 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 unheard of, and they're doing that. And when we get to the end, you've been on record saying there's a good chance that the SEC champ has two losses. Mm-hmm. If we're at the end of this thing and we've got a couple of good programs here with two losses in the SEC. How are they going to look? Because I, I guarantee Clemson ain't going. They're not going to lose anybody. They're mm-hmm. they're going to they're going to sweep that. I mean that's that's a done deal. Mm-hmm. Then you've got maybe Oklahoma. I, I mean mm-hmm. maybe Texas. One of those th- those teams. We got to keep those accountable. Right. And then you got these little eight eight teamers up in uh, Big Ten country. And then here's SEC just beating the shit out of each other and maybe have two losses. Uh, how do you think this thing plays out, man? Well, that's going to be for the committee to decide. You know, they still got the playoff committee. But, yeah, I mean, you've got to take into account the scheduling. And I think they've done mm-hmm. that in the past, and that's going to be even more important this year where if you have a – maybe you got a, like I said, a two-loss SEC champion – but maybe the team they beat, maybe they only they only got one loss. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it, it's going to be weird how that's going to play out. And I think you also got to take into effect that in the SEC, which is probably why they made these schedules as easy as they could for some of these top contenders, but the, the schedules are not necessarily matched even within the SEC. So Mm-mm. let's say... You know, LSU, I think, is also another one that's got an easy schedule. Now, if they go 9-1, and one, but someone like Kentucky goes 9-1, and one, I'm more impressed with Kentucky's 9-1 and one than I am LSU's. Yeah. It'll have to go even to that level, I think, of, of how this is all going to play out. And if one of these Big Ten team loses, even if it's Ohio State, to a team they should they should immediately be taken out, I think. Because they're not playing they're playing like right. half half I, the I schedule they, the SEC's playing. Right. I, I think they will too. But so let's just I'm just of course we don't know we we can't predict the future, but let's just say Clemson is undefeated and there is one of the uh I don't know, let's say Oklahoma is undefeated and you got Ohio State undefeated. And then everybody in the SEC has got one loss. Alabama makes it to the – I'm just – we're just throwing this out there. Alabama makes it to the SEC championship, wins the thing, but they give Florida their first loss. Mm-hmm. So now we're sitting here. It's t- a 10-1 Florida. we got a 10-1 Alabama. And then we got three – I mean, undefeated teams all around us. Wouldn't you think 
that Florida should get in. I know, I know they're going to look at it and say, well, he, you know, Big Ten, we're undefeated. Got eight no here. <laughs> Ohio State, we got to get them in there, even though they played Indiana close, you know, or something <laughs> like that. I mean, is, I, I could, I can hear it already. And then Florida just went through a juggernaut schedule and maybe fell short there in the SEC championship. But they still should be in the playoff, in my opinion. You see what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. I think, I mean, that's certainly going to be in play here. And I, I mean, think- hell, Clemson's playing coastal. You know what I'm saying? They, they pay, you know, I mean, just some garbage games. You had to pay 50 bucks to watch Oklahoma beat some high school last week. Yet they're going to just march on into a, a national championship playoff. Get the hell out of here with that, man. And I think Clemson, you know, I, I don't think they had much power over this, but whoever ESPN, you know, they did them a real favor. Let's put them on game day. They're playing on the road to upset special. Who are they playing? Oh, Wake Forest? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, 30-point underdog? Yeah, sounds great. So, come on. Get out of here with that. I just think I think you should crown whoever's the SEC champ. Whoever makes it through this schedule and, and is holding up the crown there in Atlanta, I think they deserve the national championship right then. They're like Steve Spurrier, the great head ball coach, says it's harder winning an SEC championship than it is a national championship. And these guys are going to beat each other up for 10, 10 games and, and then the additional SEC championship and then – play somebody like Ohio State that uh, what maybe they get two two tough games in their schedule of eight I mean get out of here let me pose this question to you because I know you you haven't looked at this yet but the Big Ten from what I understand you know they've not finalized the schedules Mm -hmm. but they're saying there's not going to be any bye weeks Mm -hmm. and so they kind of their schedule has to go off without a hitch whereas the SEC's got two bye weeks for all the teams in case there's needs to be a makeup game or something. Mm-hmm. What happens if Ohio State and can't play Michigan or, you know, the Big Ten title game or, or whatever? Because the Big Ten title game is now set to take place the day before the college football playoff. So mm-hmm. what happens if Ohio State, for whatever reason, can't finish out their season as scheduled and they say – Hey, can we push back the entire college football, you know, selection, all this, so we can finish it out? Should they wait for them, or should they say, "Get the hell out of here"? Out of here, man! Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Ain't got a bye week. Uh, is the Rutgers still playing up there? Is Illinois still up there? Huh? They still rowing a boat in Minnesota? Get the heck out of here. Purdue, good God, is Breeze suiting up? No. You got plenty of bye weeks coming, so I don't want to hear none of that garbage. So, (laughs) But I do – I know. Hey, again, we've got a lot of Big Ten lovers that listen to this podcast, and I won't bash them too bad. I feel feel this is good for the fans, you know. This is good for the players that that – thought they weren't going to have a team. So I don't want to miss the good part of the story. I, I, I'm think, I'm getting selfish to think about SEC. There's a lot of people that didn't think that they were going to get to watch college football this year, but they are. So for that, congratulations. You fans, you deserve it. But if you want Ohio State to make a national championship run, if you want Penn State to run it, if you want any of your ball clubs to make a run, they have got to win and win convincingly every single week. 
And if they do, then yes, I think they deserve an opportunity to be in the playoffs, you know, especially with no bye weeks. And then the, I, I, I fully expect the, the committee to bend the knee there at the end after they've made it for eight weeks and say, you know what they tried, you know, let's, let's let them have an opportunity to get it. They've got a ball club that can get in here. So I, I fully expect that to happen, Mike, mm-hmm. but there's one thing that's coming up, and I've seen it a few times. There's a lot of players up north at these ball clubs that had no idea that they were going to have a senior year or a junior year. And so they didn't come back to the, to the classes. They didn't come back to the campus. They, they hired an agent. They started making money off their likeness. I mean, I, I, that's something that's starting to come up now. So some of these bigger programs with these great athletes that have potential to play on Sundays may not be able to play college football because they're already taking money. Yeah, I mean, that's something to certainly think about. But it'll be you know really interesting to see how they handle that because Big Ten made it pretty clear, you know, we're done. And then they reverse course. So I think you got to reverse course on letting these kids return to school if they want to. I don't know how that's going to work out, yeah. but I hope for their sakes they get it done. And my last thought on Big Ten returning, I think this yeah. is good for SEC because, you know, when they do skunk the Big Ten in the playoff, whoever Ohio State, yeah. Penn State, whoever, it'll be a lot more legitimate of a championship to where, you know, they can't. They won't be crying for an asterisk type season when they when they get smashed again. You know what? Yeah, that UCF trophy. No, that ain't getting handed <laughs> out this year, Mike. <laughs> hey, before we move on, Shane, I let to, uh, want to remind the listeners we're brought to you by my bookie, the online sports book. Head on over to mybookie.ag today and use that promo code that sec. That's T H A T S E C. And what that does for all new users at MyBookie, using that promo code, once again, that SEC, new customers receive 100% deposit match on your initial deposit up to $1,000. So you could start with as much as $2,000 in your MyBookie.ag account today using that promo code, that SEC. Head on over to MyBookie.ag today. It's simple. Make your picks, wing big, collect your cash, as long as you don't listen to old Cousin Shane. <laughs> Cousin Shane. All right, next up on uh, Around the League here, let's jump on down to Fayetteville. Woo pig! Where Arkansas has named their team captains for the season, Shane. They've named four seniors. Rakeem Boyd, no surprise there, the running back. Grant Morgan, the linebacker. Jonathan Marshall, defensive tackle. And most notably here, Felipe Franks, quarterback, who they haven't even named publicly as a starting quarterback, but I think the fact they named him the captain, that says all you need to know about what's going on down there in Fayetteville. But this is what you want. I think if you if you don't have your starting quarterback as, you know, a captain or a leader on your team or something wrong with him. Now, of course, Felipe Franks is a transfer, so I wouldn't necessarily just write him off if he wasn't one of the captains immediately, but I think that just goes to show the confidence they got in Felipe Franks up there. And, you know, this is something they've desperately needed there in Fayetteville the last couple of years with, you know, they're mm-hmm. rotating quarterbacks in and out, seems like every damn week, every series sometimes. So I, I just think that's really good news for the Razorbacks. What, what do you say about that? I think I like that, Mike. Um, 
you know, this is a guy, it's so hard, man. It's, it's so hard to go to a different program and just win that program over. And, uh, I, it just feels like Arkansas really has embraced Felipe and, you know, Frank's had a lot of pressure on him last year, the last few years, mm-hmm. if you remember. And I don't think, I, th- I don't think he's going to have that much pressure. He knows that he has this job. He, he knows that, it's it's by a huge gap. I'm sure the coaches Sam's gone in there and told him, you know, hey, you you ain't losing this thing, <laughs> and I, I think that helps because if you remember, it felt like when the pressure got really tight or hard or high on uh, Felipe there mm-hmm. that he really struggled. Well, the other bit of news here from Arkansas, this is someone we've been touting up all off season, the uh, special teams coordinator Scott Fountain. Of course, we used a clip of him from the kick six the other day. He was Auburn's special teams coordinator. Back during that magical season of uh, 2013, now he's at Georgia. Excuse me, now he's at Arkansas after being at Georgia. Came over with Sam Pittman, but this is the first time he got to speak with the media as a Razorback, and I really liked a lot of these comments he had to say. And he used to be neighbors with Sam Pittman. He talked about Sam Pittman recruiting him to Fayetteville, and he was always talking about it. Mm-hmm. So sounds pretty fired up to be here. And then uh, lastly, I just thought, you know, some people wonder. You know, what exactly is the role of special teams coordinator? What's he got to do day in, day out? So Scott Fountain kind of dove into that a little bit too after Arkansas not having one for the last couple of years. So let's kick it over to uh, special teams coordinator Scott Fountain. Hey, Scott, did you live closer to Sam Pittman in Athens or, or here? <laughs> Definitely not here, but <laughs> I did in, uh, in Athens. We were actually neighbors, so yeah. – if he was out by his pool or something, you know, I could always hear him playing the music on a Sunday afternoon in the off season. Yeah. So, what 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 drew you here? I mean, you had a pretty comfortable situation going on at Georgia. I did. You know, Pittman did a good job of recruiting me, number one, and I think a lot of him. And you know, at each week it just seemed like from around game seven or eight, he kept showing up in my office. Now, me and him worked uh, together a little bit on field goal, right? He's an old line coach, protection. He'd come in, and every time we'd talk about it, he'd start talking about Arkansas. He'd say, hey, if I go, you're going to come with me. So, you know, at the uh, as we got at the Sugar Bowl and whatnot, he, you know, we're talking during that time. And anyway, I decided I was going to come, and he, he said, hey, I'm going to let Kirby know. I said, hey, won't you just wait, wait until we get back? The plane lands back in Athens because I'm going to be eating breakfast with him, riding on a plane with him. It's going to be uncomfortable. And he said, no, nah, I got to go ahead and do this, get this started. So, uh, but I, I just thought working for a guy like Sam Pittman was a great opportunity, and I really liked the names I was hearing. He was hiring as his OC and DC as well. Hey, Coach, uh, I kind of have a two-part question for you. First off, uh, a lot of different teams in college football like to do more of a uh, by-committee type thing when it comes to their special teams. What would you, would you say with some of the benefits of doing it that way by having an actual special teams coach dedicated to that? You know, I, I've worked for schools that, that split it up. And what you find out is the linebacker coach cares about coaching the KOC, but linebackers are a lot more important. And, like, I was at Florida State back. We did that there. And the guy that was in charge of the kicker put on a long snapper coached the running backs, and he just had, hey, y'all go to the stadium, y'all do your thing and come back. So you flip that, you flip that over and you go, hey, we're going to hire a guy that does teams. Then he's all about, hey, we're going to be good on teams. I get to coach the specialist in the special teams meeting, but I also get to leave and go to a specialist meeting and coach them on kicking, punting, and long snapping those techniques. 
I'm not worried about the tight ends. When I was at Auburn, I did special teams and tight ends, but I was over all the teams. Well, at Georgia, you gave an opportunity to just do teams. So I think you can really help your organization buy in. You can hold your coaches that help you on teams. And, you know, because just like O&D, I've got coaches that come in and help me on the practice field. You can hold them more accountable as well to make sure they're doing a good job. Coach, you probably saw uh, the uh, fake punt that UNT pulled on Arkansas or, or the fake return that they pulled on Arkansas a couple years ago. And then like the, the, the weird chess pass that Arkansas did in special teams as well last season. Do you lean towards like creativity in your, in your special teams or are you more traditional? Well, I just try to – what I always tell our guys is be solid. And I'm talking about the kicker, the punter, the long snap. Let's be solid. What is solid? Do your job. What is your assignment for the kicker? Field zones, hang distance, be solid. So I want to be solid first. I don't want to ever hurt our football team. And then if we're going to do a trick play or, you know, get a big return, that, that brings great value to your team because we're always talking about momentum plays. So if we can return a punt for 20 yards, we just stole two first downs. If we get a kick return out to the 40, we've just given our offense great momentum. If we get a punt and pin them inside the 10-yard line. Now, trick plays or people run trick plays against you, all you can do is practice and prepare. And hopefully on the run, your kids can think and react to, to, to the different tricks that, that are out there. But I've seen both of those, and uh, they're tough. You know, the, the, the fakes can, can go great, or everybody can say you're the worst coach in the world. <laughs> All right, Shane, so this sounds like me and you have just hear you out there in the hot tub, blasting the music, grilling out here. <laughs> that's the, the, that's this, I think this is what you want to hear with your coaching staff. You know, these are their neighbors, their buddies, and that just increases the buy-in level, I think. Makes me wonder how long Arkansas was in contact with Sam. You know, it sounds to me like, like this thing was, uh, you know, maybe somebody mentioned it, and hey, why you're, you know, just kick it around probably week six seven you know so I, I think sam knew this job was coming or an opportunity for this job was coming for quite some time and yeah uh, well i give I, you a little backstory on that one shane so obviously okay. you know chad got fired western kentucky game that embarrassing yeah. loss to his former quarterback we all know the story but that was with a couple several weeks left in the season and when that came down sam Pittman. You know, a lot of these coaches talk, and, and Sam Pittman's been very Fort Wright's, you know, spreading this, but a lot of coaches talk about their dream job. This really is a dream job for Sam Pittman. And when he saw that, and, and even some more backstory, Shane, Sam Pittman probably, he may not even be Georgia's offensive line coach right now. I think he was close to retirement. But oh. when you get your first head coaching job, especially in the SEC at the, at the school you want to be at, the school your wife wants to be at, you know, that re-energizes you, you know. So he wanted this job when it became open, and he reached out to a lot of the former players that he had up there at Arkansas, and uh, they vouched for him. And I think they even, if I'm not mistaken, they wrote a letter to the, the AD up there said, man, you got to look at this guy. And I think they, I don't want to say completely dismissed it, obviously, but, you know, they had – if you remember the, the the story, a lot of people made fun of Arkansas. They went through, you know, all these candidates. They tried to get, couldn't get them. And then mm -hmm. 
then he kind of had to settle for Sam Pittman is how a lot of people saw it. But at the end of the day, I think I don't think there's any way you could argue that uh, the best new coaching staff in the SEC is in the one there in Fayetteville. So you can call it settling for him if you want, but hell, he's the one that's knocking it out of the park so far. So it all worked out, at least, you know, leading up to the season. We'll see how it goes on the field. But yeah, that's the backstory. So Sam Pittman's had his eye on this thing for, you know, several weeks before he was named the head coach. That's right. And then when Fountain didn't, he didn't commit initially, Sam started having all these pool parties, <laughs> wasn't inviting him over, <laughs> you know. <laughs> So he wanted in on that action. I just think it's kind of funny that we've had this special teams coordinator on twice uh, before the season. Well, we've not talked to any other special teams coordinators. That's just how bad Arkansas has been at special teams. For you know, they're bringing up the North Texas and the mm-hmm. and the old chess pass game last year. Yeah, it's been brutal. So uh, I'm I'm sure that uh, that Fountain's going to whip that program in shape. All right, final stop here, Shane, around the league. Let's jump on down to the Plains. Get ready, Toomer's Corner. Auburn's coming to roll you. Final score, Auburn 48, Alabama 45. Where running back DJ Williams spoke, and um, I thought these comments were particularly interesting. He talked about uh, Chad Morris and that offense, obviously. Asked about the running back room. You know, a lot of these, and you can't blame them, but players want to play, players want the ball. And they've got, you know, four really talented guys going into the season. So how are they going to mix out those carries? How competitive is it? Not very competitive, according to Williams. And I think this is what you want to hear. And then, uh, you know, we've been harping on it all offseason. What's this Auburn offensive line looking like? That's going to be the key to how successful this offense is. You can have all the quarterbacks, receivers, running backs you want. But if you don't got an offensive line, it's just not going to work out. So DJ Williams briefly hit on that as well. Uh, DJ, if you would talk about um, your feel for for the offense under uh, under Coach Morris, how how you fit into it, and then if you would uh, just the battle between you and and all the guys there in the running back room, and and uh, and how you're all uh, you know hoping to be able to to get the ball as much as possible. Um, I mean, this year I feel like we're going to be very explosive getting the ball to the backs, like just from, you know, different routes and stuff like that. I mean, and looking at the battle for the running back room, I don't really see it as a battle. I mean, we're all family here to make each other better. So that's pretty good. DJ, talk about the running backs as a group. It looks like you guys each have on your own different style. Could you talk about what you see your style as and maybe what you see the style of the other running backs, what that is? Um, I think, you know, we're all pretty valuable. Everybody has their own style, of course. I feel like my style is like, you know, more downhill. Um, you know, Worm, you know, he getting on the outside, he's gone. I mean, Tank's the same way, but he can also run inside. And I feel like, I don't know, Mark's the same ways too. Like, he can run inside and he also has speed, so. Hey, DJ, uh, what are some of the things that Chad Morris is doing differently this year? Are you guys catching it out of the backfield more? What are some of the things that you're doing different? Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, just get, like getting the running back involved like a lot more, stuff like that. So I feel like that's going to help us tremendously. Does that, does that excite you? you fire it, fire it really fire. does. It really does. Our next question, DJ, is from Justin Ferguson. 
Hey, DJ, uh, what do you think about the offensive line uh, in front of you guys and kind of how they've been doing in practice? There's a lot of new faces up there, and they're going to be key to, you know, whatever y'all in the backfield, uh, how, how much y'all are going to be successful this year. So what do, you, what do you think about those guys in camp? I mean, um, from last year, I mean, seeing all new faces, but, I mean, I've, I don't feel like we fell off at all. I mean, those guys are pretty good. All right, Shane, so I really wanted to include this clip, uh, you know, not only to fire up these Auburn fans, but uh, to fire you up, buddy, because you're getting higher and higher <laughs> on Auburn, it seems like, as we get closer to the season. And based on all the comments, you know, out of Auburn, it, I think you might be onto something. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm getting a lot of positive vibes coming from down there in the Plains. So they think they got something pretty special in offense and not just – I mean, everybody Everybody talks about Bo. You know, this is going to be Bo's year. But I, I think a lot of people are sleeping on the Auburn's running backs. This is a this is a special little crew back here. It's you know, it's very diverse. They got different athletes that can do different things, and uh, I think uh, Coach Morse is going to exploit that this season. Yeah, and I think that's just as you know, we talk about all the wild cards heading into this season, and we've been hyping up Kentucky all year. You know, all of a sudden, not predicting this or anything, but if Auburn were to win over Kentucky, especially in, you know, impressive fashion, they got Georgia week two, who, you know, everybody's high on it, as they should be, but let's say Auburn beats Georgia too. I mean, all of a sudden, and you got Arkansas week three, all of a sudden the hype train is going to be out of control for this Auburn program. And again, not saying that is exactly how it's going to play out. But, you know, if Chad Morris has managed to fix fix what ailed this offense, fix Bo Nix, I don't want to say fix. He, there's nothing wrong with Bo Nix, mm-hmm. but just get him to progress. I mean, hell, this team might have won the national championship last year had they had a, a dominant offense. And and I think they're going to need that to make some noise here. But I'm talking but myself they got into it. it. They, Mike, they got the pieces. And a lot, a lot of people are – I mean, I know a lot of people are saying – well, the defense is going to be as good as it was last year, but the offense is going to be that much better. And LSU, if they told us anything last year, is you don't have to have a great defense to win a national championship, but you got to be able to put points on against everybody you play. And now they've got some tough opponents. You know, Georgia, arguably the best defense in the country, mm-hmm. and they'll have their hands full with them, but, you know, they have the pieces. They they got the speed on the outside. They got fantastic receivers. If Bo does progress like he has uh, during the season last year, I think I think he'll be fine. Like I said, this this running back group, a lot of people aren't talking about them, but they will. And uh, I think I think that's when we get to the end of the season, we're going to look back and say, hey, you know, Auburn got back to what they do and, and do well, and that's that's running the ball. And uh, you got Cadillac, Cadillac down there, Coach. He knows exactly what's expected from an Auburn running back. So, mm-hmm. uh, it's yeah, a lot of people sleeping on these guys. Yeah, but it, not me. <laughs> I mean, they're gonna. I mean, what they 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 drop the Tennessee game, you know, lose that one, and then they get regalvanized <laughs> and, and go to the SEC championship. I think it's a perfect story, Mike. <laughs> And one final thing on these running backs that, uh, you know, it kind of goes without saying, but we got to keep reminding people, obviously running backs kind of tend to get injured just because they're taking hits. So I certainly don't want that to happen, but 10 game SEC season going to be very physical. And we all know about the uncertainty with the COVID. So you don't know who's going to be in and out. I don't know if there's a running back room 
in the SEC that goes four deep, you know, to where maybe one week two of them are missing in the lineup or what have you, I think Auburn's going to be fine. Whereas I don't know if that's necessarily going to be the case at other schools. It may be, but I just don't know if it'll be the case at other schools. And, and hell, uh, let's hope they're all four are there and, and accounted for and healthy all season long. That, that may be even better because by the end of the year, I mean, you're going to have four fresh running backs that you can just rotate in and out uh, depending on what you're trying to do on offense. So, yeah, I mean, like I said, I keep talking myself into Auburn having a big season, but mm-hmm. I'm yeah, I I don't know. I'm I'm very curious to see how they play. That they're one of the teams that I'm most interested in seeing this you. year. Got you, Mike. I got you. <laughs> hey, let me ask you if I, I I just play devil's advocate here. If if something happened, did if something did happen to Bo, mm-hmm. who's the next guy up? You know, they saw they brought in Cam Newton's brother, but they moved oh, him to wideout. So, I mean, what's I mean, I'm not hearing anything about the backup there. So, I'm just I'm curious, uh, you know, because you got to prepare. Bo, you know, Bo made it through the last season, but there was a lot of SEC quarterbacks that didn't. And uh, I'm just I'm just wondering who's who's the next man up just in case something does happen or, or hell, if it gets. You know, you don't want to say it, and I'm not trying to put evil on Auburn, but if Shane's predicting them to win a national championship, they may something may happen along the way here, Mike. Yeah, the only other guy that I can think of down there is a guy by the name of Cord Sandberg, and he was a oh yeah, he was like I'm, a baseball player or something. So he's a yeah, I remember him from last year. He's like Chris Winky. <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> yeah. I don't know how old he is, but he's a lot older than most of these forty, forty-five, right? So he, like he's that. near in middle age. And then uh, mm-hmm. I, th- I think they added another transfer from, like, the Division II ranks. But I can't – his name escapes me. So, yeah, behind Bo, you ain't got much. I mean, maybe Sandberg is awesome, but I can't say that I've ever really seen him play outside of some junk time. And, yeah, so that – Spring ball. I watched him last spring. And... Yeah, that, I mean, that that's going to be – of course, that might be the case at a lot of these schools, you know, who <laughs> uncertain at the backup position. <laughs> yeah. But – yeah, lots riding on Bo Nix this year. Mm. Okay, well, I didn't mean to. I didn't. Mean, here we are talking about him winning everything, and now I'm talking about the quarterback <laughs> getting hurt. So maybe my bad. I just, I was just curious. I was thinking about the backup, and I just couldn't, I, I couldn't put a finger on who the backup was here. Mm-hmm. All right, Chad. So I mean, that's all I've got on this episode. You got anything before we uh, jump off here? Uh, just one last thing, Mike. I want to rank this old beer here. This was uh, Coastal Love. Uh, it, was, it was okay. It was okay. I love Asheville, but I just didn't much care for this one. Uh, 6.3 alcohol. In fact, that's. I think that's the rating I'm going to give it. 6.3. Uh, just, eh, I had a I had a weird aftertaste. So, but I did drink it quicker than the other ones, and I don't know if that's because I've been uh, smoking a turkey out here all day and I was just hot, <laughs> but. <laughs> But it, it did it did its job. I just not a, not a huge fan of it, Mike. So, oh, hey, but other than that, man, I ain't got breaking else. news here, right oh. as we're about to log off. So I I'm not listening to these comments, so I can't tell you exactly what's going on. But this being reported, Eli Drinkowitz says they got 12 players out for COVID reasons. They're not all positive, but there's 12 guys, and they will be out for the Alabama game, which is the opener, obviously. So, Ooh. man. Missouri, the the opener just got a lot tougher for you without some of the debbies. He didn't give out any names, obviously, but, you know, that's troubling, I guess. The, oh, 
Wow, what a depressing podcast we had today, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm just giving you the news that it happens, bro. I know. I know. Dan Walken's on cloud nine. I can't wait to get his new article out talking about, I can't believe we're having college football. <laughs> idiot. All right. So, sorry, sorry about that, right. Bazoo. Didn't want to you know, go out on that note, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see what he had to say on the next episode, but uh, that's going to do it. Oh, and, and don't forget, we got those new koozies. So give, yep. If you wouldn't mind giving us a five-star written review, send that over to us at uh, thatsecpodcast at gmail.com. Happy to send you one of these koozies out free of charge. That's going to do it, Shane. Thanks for joining me as always. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Catch you on the next one. All right. See you guys. Go Vols. <laughs>